Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom that you have won for us in Christ Jesus, that apart from him, we are strangers, but now you have made us partners and, and sons of God. Send your Holy Spirit on us now to open your word, to help us to understand more deeply the good news that you have bestowed on us in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So uh, a couple of things as we get started here, as I said at the outset, um, I'm going to use this handout here. It's kind of an outline. If you don't have one already, there's some more back there with Tom. And if, if it's not your thing, don't worry about it. Um, one note on the outline here, too. I've been doing this for quite a while with Bible studies and so forth. And um, I realized a number of years ago that when you do fill in the blanks, people become inordinately occupied with filling in the blank, right? And I, I would find people weren't listening because they were like, did you get that blank before? What was in that blank? Did you get the blank? And I'd be like, okay, come on, people, let's focus here. So then I came up with this brilliant idea of just putting the answers at the bottom of the page. Don't look. I see you looking. But they're down there, just so you know, so don't freak out. It's upside down. So th there you go. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians for the next few weeks here. That's where the lectionary, our order of readings, takes us for these next few weeks. And we're picking up in chapter 3. So I want to just briefly give a little bit of background and context on the letter of Galatians. And it wouldn't hurt, by the way, if you have your worship folder, to keep it open to the epistle reading, that Galatians reading, because we're basically just going to be working um, right through that text. But why did Paul write the letter of Galatians? When we read these letters of the New Testament, you have to remember, when you write a letter, you write it to a person, and usually you have a reason for writing. I mean, sometimes you're writing and you're thinking, Pastor, I haven't written a letter in so long. But the same principle holds with an email even, right? If you're writing something, typically you have some kind of purpose or reason for it. And in the Bible, it's no different. The letters that we have, Galatians, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and so on, these were written for a purpose. And for us to really understand what is being said and taught in these letters, it helps to understand why they were written. So in the case of Galatians, Paul gets absolutely incensed. He gets fired up in a way that we don't see him in any of his other letters. And the reason is this. People were compromising the message of the gospel. Paul will count counter all sorts of crazy stuff in his letters. There's one guy who takes his mother-in-law as his wife, which seems to be the least likely thing possible. <laughs> but uh, he, he goes after all sorts of things, all sorts of questionable behaviors and all these different problems. But if you really want to get Paul fired up, if you really want to get Paul fired up, you start teaching that Jesus alone is not enough for salvation. You start saying, Jesus is great. And then we just need to add a couple other things here. That's what was going on in the church at Galatia. There were false teachers known as Judaizers who were saying, Jesus is great. He forgives your sins. If only you can also add these couple other things from the Old Testament law. In particular, circumcision and other ceremonial laws from the, the Old Testament law. So Jesus is great. He does so much for you. Just don't forget these other things that you need to add as well. If you want God to accept you, if you want him to, to receive you as his child. And then Paul turns into like mama bear. Okay? He's like, what? No! 
In fact, in chapter one of Galatians, he, he just starts out. Usually he has some nice greetings. How you doing? Don't forget to say hello to Aunt Rita, this sort of thing. That's not an actual quote, okay? But in here he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's kind of the equivalent if you start out an email today with all caps, okay? Like right off the bat, Paul is upset. That's just a little bit of the background, why he's writing. And really the verses, the section that we're looking at today, in some ways, is kind of the heart of the letter. So go ahead and pull out that reading from Galatians 3. If you want, you can grab the Bible as well. What Paul tells in this, these verses that we're looking at here is really a before and after story. A before and after story. Don't you guys love before and after stories? This is how it was, and then something happened, and this is how it is instead. Like right now, there's this really popular show on Netflix. Uh, I forget what the show is exactly called, but it's Marie Kondo. Have you guys heard of this? It's this Japanese lady who goes into people's houses that are a total wreck and disorganized, and she helps them with her crazy Japanese magic to suddenly have a nice, clean, orderly house. You know, so you know how the, the format of these shows go. You start out, the people are sad, their life is horrible. You know, hero comes in, cleans up the house, and suddenly at the end, ah, before and after. Her tagline that she's always saying is, don't keep anything that doesn't spark joy in your heart. Which sounds really nice, but then you're like, I'm not sure if salad tongs spark joy in my heart, but I kind of need them around the house. But I digress. So before and after, before and after. This is the kind of story that Paul is telling and recounting in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 4 through 7. So let's get started looking at verse 23. And I think, okay, Paul, Pastor, the numbers are not in there in the worship folder, so... Bear with me. This is at the beginning of the reading. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Before Jesus, after Jesus. If you're following along on your handout, number one on your handout is that Jesus is the hinge of history. Jesus is the hinge of history. What do I mean by that? He is the one through whom and in whom everything else, all time past, all time future, all of it funnels, to change the metaphor, funnels into him. He is the, the pivot point, the hinge on which everything else turns. In Mark chapter 1, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus' first sermon is... The, t the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. Everything is divided with Jesus, before Jesus and after Jesus. And we still have this in our calendars, don't we? B.C. and A.D. B.C., before Christ. A.D., that's a little bit trickier. Anybody know A.D.? Anno Domini, right? Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord. So that in our, our very calendars now, we see how Jesus is the hinge of history. Everything goes back to him and when he came. It's a before and after. So as Paul tells this story, it's before and after, not just personally, but historically, even cosmically. The whole history of the, of the cosmos 
Yes, sweetie, I'll call on you in a minute, okay? I hear you, I see your hand. I'll get to you in just a second. It's my daughter, Elizabeth, if you don't know her. For you summertime folks that haven't had the pleasure of hearing my daughter speak up, you will have that opportunity throughout the summer here. So before and after. Now I want to draw out three particular ways that it's a before and after story that Paul mentions in these verses here. So just pick up from where we left off there. Well, in verse 24, the second sentence, he says again, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So here, our first before and after, number two on your handout, we are no longer captives. We're no longer captives. Paul uses an interesting word here that gets translated as guardian. He says the law was our guardian. The Greek word is paedagogos. And there's an English word that you can hear in there, like pedagogue or pedagogy. Okay? It's not the kind of word that you use every single day, but pedagogy is the way that you teach. And a pedagogue is a teacher. In the ancient world, a pedagogue was somebody who was responsible for taking kids to and from school. They were kind of like somebody, um, you might think of Mary Poppins, okay? You know, a Mary Poppins type character. This was not mom, this was not dad, but this was somebody who was responsible for sort of whipping the kids into shape, see? Making sure they do their homework, looking after them, but still with a little bit of an iron fist. You with me? Paul says this is what the law was like. And by the law, we're talking about God's word of thou shalt and thou shalt not, his commandments. The law, what we're doing, was never, ever meant to save us. It was never supposed to be the case that, okay, if we just try a little bit harder, if we pick ourselves up by our, by our moral bootstraps, so to speak, then God will accept us. That was never meant to be the case. Rather, the law was a pedagogue, a guardian, a custodian, somebody who was meant to watch over us, kind of keep us in shape until Jesus came. That was the goal of history, and it's still the goal of history, that God's word of thou shalt, his law, would lead us to the foot of the cross. How does that happen? You think about it. We try to keep God's law. All right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor your father and mother, etc., etc. The harder we try to keep the law, the more we realize we can't do it. It's sort of like, I had these things when I was a kid. Uh, these are probably politically incorrect, so bear with me. But Chinese handcuffs, you guys remember these? Chinese handcuffs were these things that you'd put on your fingers, on two fingers, and the trick was, the harder that you pulled, the tighter that they got. The harder you pulled, the tighter they got. You had to just, in a sense, surrender and give up if you were going to become free. The law is kind of like those Chinese handcuffs, in the sense that the harder that you and I try to keep the law, the more we realize we can't do it. We need Christ. The law was not meant to save us. It can only enslave us in the last, keep us captive. But now you and I have been set free in Christ. We're no longer captives. Okay, number three on your handout, the second before and after that Paul tells here. 
We're no longer aliens to God or to one another. We're no longer aliens to God or to one another. I'm not talking about green spacemen, right? I'm talking about being alienated. Um, pick up where we left off here in the reading. Verse 26, Start the sentence that starts. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul's saying, look, before, before Christ came, there's a, a fundamental alienation among humanity. The way that the scriptures describe it is it was Jew and Gentile. In other words, Jew and people who were not Jewish. They were out, outside of the elect. They were outside of the household of God. But then there's all these other divisions in humanity. Some of them part of God's good design. Others of them part of our, our own sinful human nature, the divisions that we create. But what Paul is saying is that now in Christ, we are no longer alienated from one another. That through holy baptism, we have been united and brought together. But we are also united and reconciled to God. We're no longer alienated from God either. Because when you are baptized, you're clothed with Christ. Now you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that all the things that would keep you and me away from the love of God, the sin that would separate us, Christ has covered over. Now you are brought into God's family, given brothers and sisters in the church, and united with your heavenly Father. We're no longer aliens to God or to one another. Okay, one last before and after story that Paul tells here in these verses. And here I want to pick up chapter 4, where it begins, I mean that the heir. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, number four on your handouts, Paul says here, slaves have become sons and daughters, of course. Slaves have become sons and daughters. That where before we were held captive under the law, before we were enslaved to our sin, now we have been set free in Christ. And not only that, we have been brought into the family of God. This is why we are able to pray, our Father. Christ, as our brother, brings us into, by adoption, into the family of God, so that now we can pray, our Father. God is truly your Father by grace. And by which we cry, as he says, Abba, Father. This is not a strange reference to an 80s Swedish rock band, okay? Abba, anybody? Right. But instead, this is this wonderful uh, Hebrew Aramaic term for God that uh, might be compared to the word daddy. Now we have that intimacy with God by which the Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. We're no longer slaves. 
We're sons and daughters of the king. What a before and after story Paul is telling here. Before we were captive, before we were slaves, before we were lost, but now we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now we are fellow members of the family of God. We are our fellow members of the household of God. Now our sins are forgiven. Now we have been found in Christ. And so lastly on, on your handout, number five, faith means living into the after. Faith means living into the after. What do I mean by that? Well, if it's a, a before and after story, to live by faith means to live into the reality of what God has already done for you in Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. You are new creatures in Christ. So that the rest of our lives is grappling with what God has already done for us. It's living more deeply into the after, that declaration that God has made on you and me. Martin Luther said this, commenting on these, these verses. He says, train your conscience to believe that God approves of you. Fight it out with doubt. Gain assurance through the word of God. We have to train our conscience to believe. This good news seems too good to be true. I'm truly a child of the king. My sins are truly forgiven. I'm accepted and loved by God, not because of anything that I have done or not done, but because simply and solely of his grace. That can be hard to believe. We need to train our conscience to learn to accept this good news. Because here's the reality. I don't know about you guys, but many days I wake up and I feel like I'm still living in the before. You with me? I don't feel like I have changed a whole lot some days. And if Marie Kondo were to come over to my house or come over to my life and say, oh my word, say, I'm not even going to bother with this, right? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you have not changed the way that you wanted to change? And we have those expressions sometimes, you know, you can't teach an old dog what? new tricks. You know, zebra can never change stripes. All these sorts of things. And you might feel at times, well, I'm just stuck with this person. <laughs> you look in the mirror and you think, ooh, that's definitely the before in the before and after picture. Take heart. Take heart. In Christ, you are already in the after. And God, who has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. We're not so patient with ourselves, but God is patient with you and me. He loves you as you are. He loves you so much that he won't leave you as you are. But he continues that before and after story in your life until the day when our Savior comes again. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.